What's up, guys? What hey. is up? What's going on? Not much. Man, it's a busy time. Y'all doing okay? Yeah, doing yeah. really well. Yeah. Igor, you're in California, right? I'm on vacation. I'm taking it easy. I'm in beautiful Southern California. I'm in Redondo Beach mm. right now, and I'm two hours behind, so it's only 2.14 p.m. right now. Redondo Beach is great. Yeah. Robert, did you travel to Southern California back yeah. in the day for the yeah, client? Yeah, I think I joined right after you left your first stint. Yes. But yeah, so we were spent a lot of time in Redondo Beach. It yeah. was great. Yeah, it's a re- really great spot. I promised my daughter I'd get her a seashell from the beach and didn't realize until after the fact that the way the currents work in that area of the country, all the seashells are broken. They've so- sort of like slammed the shells against the ocean floor. There's no whole seashells, mm. which someone on mm. our project actually knew. Mm. I was complaining about it. I spent like an hour and a half trying to get a seashell in this misty evening. And I was complaining about it the next day. And my buddy was like, yeah, my, my girlfriend's really into oceanography. And she was mentioning this the other day, and I thought, oh, I wish I would have talked to you about it first. And so I had to get one from the gift shop. Went all the way to California to get a seashell <laughs> from a choice gift shop. It was great. But I did but bring tried. home. I did bring home seashells. Have you been to the beach yet today? Not today. I'm gonna go right after we record. But yeah, the first thing I did was uh, yeah, go to the go to the beach. Just being by the sea is uh, is pretty phenomenal. You know, it has a lot of calming, healing properties. Uh, not to get too new agey about it, but yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It was my first time flying mm-hmm. since the pandemic started. That was the first time at the airport, first time uh, in an airplane. And I'm now fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's use this to segue into the topic of today. So first time flying in a while, you are fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Tell me, did you mm-hmm. experience any fear on your journeys, on your travel? No, I didn't really experience any fear. Anxiety, maybe. I, did, I didn't know what the flying experience was going to be like. Like, I've made this flight, this Dallas to LA flight, so many yeah. times, dozens and dozens of times, and uh, pre-pandemic. And so I know what to expect, what seat to get on the airplane, <laughs> like all that good stuff. And I was just, I don't know what the airport's going to be like. I don't know what the plane's going to be like. And basically, everything is just the same, except for people are wearing masks, mm, what it felt yeah. like. Maybe they don't serve food or something on the flight. Maybe that was another difference. So for you, anxiety and fear, are they connected at all? Do you see them as similar, completely different, distinct? Yeah, I guess I see them as related. And maybe fear to me is when anxiety boils over. Mm -hmm. Interesting, yeah. I don't know if that's accurate, but a lot of times that's how I think about it. Yeah. Today, I wanted to talk to you all about fear and my, my assertion or hypothesis that learning to overcome fear is the single biggest predictor of achieving our highest potential in life. And I don't know if you've, if y'all have heard me talk about mm. that, but that's that is fundamental thing that I speak to a lot of our new hires about fear and my journey and learning to deal with that. And I can answer the question for you as to whether or not fear and anxiety are linked and how they are, if you're interested in, but thanks for sharing that. But I, I'm curious, do y'all have a visceral reaction to my statement that Learning to overcome fear is the single best predictor of our success in life. Like put on your skepticism hat, like the same lens we've been looking at, the Nine Lies book. And uh, what's your reaction to that? So this is something that I've been thinking about, maybe not from a personal perspective, but definitely from a professional perspective, you know, almost two decades. And I started reflecting maybe five years ago or so about 
but why do companies hire consultants? And what is it about consultants that helps companies make progress that they feel like they aren't able to make? And when I asked why enough, I think that I got to Charles was fear. And it's what prevents companies and organizations from reaching their potential is uh, too much fear in the system, uh, fear at the individual level. And then that sort of rolls up into a, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. a business Mm -hmm. unit or organizational level fear, which prevents people from doing their best and from taking risks and from capturing a moment that would benefit everybody, but can seem really scary because it might impact your career, might impact you having a job. It might impact lots of different things, right? The way that your colleagues see you. And and that fear really holds back individuals, obviously. But then as you roll all that up, it holds back organizations. And so one of the things that I've been really trying to practice uh, over the last couple of years is creating environments of safety so people can explore and feel less fearful in their work. So at least from a business perspective, I have been thinking about fear in that way. I don't often think about it from a personal perspective. Mm, yeah, thanks for that. Robert, what do you have to say about it? I think this is a cornerstone for what you're saying. So definitely your ability to overcome fear, to face fear, right? Because bravery is not, it's not being afraid. Brave people are afraid all the time. It's what they do with that fear and, and choose to confront it. So that's lots of really smart people have outlined that observation around bravery. Like it's not the absence of fear. So if fear is a common human condition, human emotion, and there's all sorts of science around how the feeling of fear screws up your physiological state, hampers your decision-making, right? Chronic fear or those feelings and emotions can have really deep repercussions. And then if you just point that lens onto professional life, yeah, there's, we talk about playing not to lose or just taking the safe path because you may have tremendous upside over here, but also the downside is felt, right? And, and we feel we experience much more pain with a loss than an equivalent gain. It hurts much more to lose $20 than it does to get $20 and those kind of things. So mm-hmm. I think we're onto something where this is a space that we don't talk about enough, that we all are exposed to, we deal with regularly, and could absolutely deal with more effectively and your ability to confront, overcome, manage, mitigate fear is a critical component of your success in work and in life. I don't know if it's the critical component, but it's certainly top three. I'm fine with that. I'll take it. And I think it's so fascinating for me because when I talk to people about fear, I get one of two reactions and probably more so one of them, which is Okay, let me talk about in the context in in our company, when I talk about fear, I talk a lot about fear in the context of professional development and growth. And I think a lot of people will say, I'm not afraid at work. Like, I, I don't feel fear at work. And I, I think for some people that may be true, but I think for many people, it might just be a misunderstanding of what is fear. And that's why I asked you, Igor, hey, what do you say anxiety and fear is linked? Because they absolutely are. And so let, let's provide some definitions for people to help people understand, do they actually feel fear? Because geez, like in my life, I have spent a lot of time trying to learn how to speak about the feelings that I feel. You know, as silly as that sounds, 
And it's really hard, but there's a lot of clarity and goodness that can come out of being able to name, hey, I'm feeling this thing, this sensation. Ah, that's a feeling of fear. So anyway, fear, it is an unpleasant feeling triggered by the perception of danger, real or imagined. So fear, an unpleasant feeling triggered by the perception of danger, real or imagined. So there's Real or imagined really sticks mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting nuance there. Yeah. yeah. So fear developed over time from an evolutionary standpoint for very good reasons. A lot of people talk about the, oh, you hear a rustling in the bush. If that triggers an unpleasant feeling in you, that gives you the leg up to fight or flee. That whole, the, what do you call that thing? It's like a, yeah, when you feel threatened. The freeze, fight or flight. Yeah, yeah there you me- go. Yeah, yeah. So that unpleasant feeling is what triggers those responses. And that that increases your chance of survival. If you run away at the sound of rustling in the bush, it doesn't matter if that was a real leopard or not, you're safe. And so that's rewarded over time. And those were real threats. But nowadays, when, this is our privilege speaking, but when have we actually been confronted with real threats, like to our safety, to our lives. And it, it is just a very different world and environment that we live in. And I think we confuse a lot of the threats out there with life-threatening threats, as opposed to just, ooh, that's going to bruise my ego or something like that, which is where that kind of, the whole real or imagined danger comes from. Right? And we feel fear, but should we give in to that? It's the question that I pose to people because it's not a leopard. It might just be a, ooh, I'm going to look silly in front of my colleagues and I don't want to do that. Robert, were you going to say something? Yeah, that's an important distinction you made here. So all the data are in, right? In modern society, the world we live in today, you can make exceptions for the pandemic and those types of things in aggregate across, let's say, the last decade or more. As a society, the level of fear that you're talking about, which is, I hear rustling in the bush, I need to run, you can round that down to zero in aggregate. There's individual cases, there's macro events that come in from time to time, but mostly, yeah, we don't as a society, as a planet, live in everyday fear the way that you were talking about it. Yeah. But I think our we can't discern it chemically, right? right. That's right. Yep. Like it produces the same chemicals, whether it's an, an imagined fear of looking silly, a tiger rustling in the bushes about. I think that's the hard part, right? Yeah, because there's, let's talk about maybe modern day fear, right? Because that, because you're right, we, what we feel is real, whether it's a rustling in the bush from a leopard or the wind. And that is just something that we have to accept. The feeling of fear is something that we will need to accept. I will say for me, in my lifetime, for whatever reason, nature and nurture, I have probably suppressed the feeling of fear and I've tried to ignore it maybe. And, and so maybe as a result, I'm a little desensitized. Because if you asked me maybe 10, 15 years ago, hey, are you afraid when you go to work? Yes. No way. Like, I'm not afraid. I might be worried about something. I might be anxious about something. But the way that the anxiety and fear has an interesting relationship, anxiety is a type of fear. And so all of the things physiologically that we talk about for fear, they apply to anxiety. However, fear is about some sort of threat. Like right now, there's a rustling in the bush. I've got a meeting and a presentation that I've got to deliver tomorrow. Like those are threats to safety that triggers that feeling. 
Anxiety is more about something in the future. Oh, what if I get sick from going on this trip? Igor, you know, maybe that crossed your mind or something like that. And so one, fear is more present oriented. Anxiety is something about thinking ahead into the future. And given that you're right, Robert, and there's stats out there that in books written about the fact that this is the safest moment in human history. Like right now, it is the safest moment in human history. Like child mortality has gone down. Life expectancy has increased. Violent crimes have gone down. Trends to support all that sort of stuff. And yet, in another way to say that is like physical threats, like real threats to our lives have gone down. And yet, it seems, if you look at social media and the news, the amount of fear in our society seems to have gone up, or it's at least being amplified as a result of some of the technology out there. And I, I think most of that fear that we see is about anxiety more than fear itself. People are thinking about the future because we can think about the future now. We can think about next week and about next year and about the next decade because from a hierarchy of needs standpoint, we're all sitting pretty pretty good in terms of our base level needs and stuff like that. And so that's how I've made sense of my experience and what I observe in the world and why now more than ever, there needs to be strategies to help people to work with, increase their capacity to sit with fear and anxiety, but also work to, I don't like saying the word overcome, but that's the word, like, how do you overcome fear and anxiety in the moment? Because those things, whether it's real or imagined, they, you're exactly right, Robert, it, it triggers the fight, flight, or freeze phenomenon. Like it shuts down the logic centers of the brain. It shuts off people's creativity. They physically lock up. And if you do that, you're not showing up in that meeting, giving that presentation. You're not showing up in the relationship with your kids or your, your partner. And uh, that impacts your ability to thrive. So I think there's a great need to provide tools, tips, tricks, strategies to help people when they feel fear. And there's one particular exercise. I, I can't remember if y'all have done it before. Have y'all heard of fear setting as an exercise? Yeah, you introduced the idea to me at a pretty key point in my mm. career. So, yeah. Igor, how about you? Uh, yeah, same, same thing. You've introduced me to it. Okay, yeah. So fear setting is something that I learned, I'm pretty sure, from Tim Ferriss. Tim yeah. Ferriss, yep. I don't know where you got it from. I, I doubt it's a Tim Ferriss original. Maybe it is. And... It's, it's a three-step exercise, and it begins with really trying to understand what it is that we're afraid of. And so you, you can do this very simply by taking a sheet of paper and creating three columns, like just draw lines to create three columns. And the first step is to just write down if it's a situation or if it's a decision that you're about to make that gives you this fear. What do you think is the worst possible outcome of doing whatever it is that you're going to do? And really just articulate it in great detail, like the worst possible thing. Oh, if I show up to this meeting without a tie on, I'm going to get fired. And what's funny is that people laugh because ultimately I think all of these things, like, oh, if I say, you know, to somebody that I like them and I want to date them and I'm going to get rejected. Ultimately, those are interpreted by the primitive brain as threats to our lives, right? Like those are perceived as real dangers. 
And by articulating those things, writing them down, it allows the more modern part of the brain, the logical brain, to help process those things. It's like, wait a second, that might hurt, but that's not a leopard in the bush that could come and eat me and completely end the propagation of my DNA throughout the species in the future. So writing it down, just what is it that you fear? And even rating them on a scale, like of one to 10, is this really worst case scenario? If not, what is? Like encouraging getting it out of your brain and onto a piece of paper is step one. So Robert, Igor, would you be willing to share what, if you all did this exercise, like what, what was it like to try to write those things down? You don't even have to say the, the specific thing if you want, but what was it like to write down if you remember, like that worst case scenario for that first step of fear setting? Yeah, it was really helpful. I think in maybe in the same way, I'd be curious to know if this is true, like immersion therapy, right? So if you have someone who's afraid of dogs, taking them, they're maybe driving past a dog park and having them look at it out the window and for a while until they get bored. And then maybe you walk up to the fence or view it from the parking lot. And then you keep these like slow incremental steps where you're exposed to something you're afraid of. And that dulls the fear over time. Like there's your brain's rewiring and you can slowly get into the point where maybe you own a dog or at least you're not in this like hyper hyperventilating state when you see them. And so I, I think for the professional, if we take the fear setting idea, and you can use this for personal too. I, I used it in a professional setting. It's a level of immersion therapy where you're, you're defining the worst case. And, and when you put it on paper, sometimes you can ask yourself the question like, hey, is this really that mm -hmm. bad? What's the worst that could happen here? And, and for me, it was really around, do I exit this safe career state that I'm in and go pursue something that has some pretty significant downside and the kind of thing that could maybe set you back a few years if it doesn't go well. And in just like in other games we play, if you, you can even think of work as a game, when you have an advantage and you don't press that advantage, it, that advantage ev evaporates. And so you're, you hear that we're, we're playing not to lose, we're not playing to win, that kind of thing. And so it really helped frame up, okay, here's what the downside is. And then what you'll get into in a minute is I could actually then think through, okay, if this happens, I could, there's some steps I could take now to mitigate the pain for that anyway. And so now you're planning this sequence of events or th planning for things that could happen and it, there's a level of preparation there as well. So you're defining it, you're exposing yourself to it, you're intellectually using your imagination to put yourself in that situation and thinking through how you might respond. And that whole exercise is like you, or, or, or maybe it's like you're experiencing that failure in a safe place so that you, if you did experience it in real life, you've been there before yeah. almost. And it doesn't completely remove the risk. It doesn't completely inoculate you from fear or the negative impacts of it, but it certainly helps by orders of magnitude than you just trying to wing it and are, are forced into that freeze flight or fight yeah. mode. I, you've talked about some of the other steps in fear setting, right? The first one is define your fears. The second one is talking about, okay, what are things that you could do that are within your control and power? to try to prevent those fears from happening. Like, hey, I'm going to lose my job because of whatever I do. Right? There are things that you can do to prevent that outcome from happening. I, I rarely even get to that step when I talk to people because there's, I, I believe the intervention that is most effective, like the minimum effective dose here, is just that first part of write down what it is you're afraid of. 
Because as soon as you get it outside of your brain and you can read it, you can look at it, you can touch it on a piece of paper, it changes things. Like it changes things. It becomes something else as opposed to consuming you. And that's when you can start to work with it, like in a logical fashion and say, okay, I may not lose my job, but if these are the things that I can do, I can prepare, I can practice, I can get advice from somebody else before I go into this meeting. And, you know, I could start talking to a recruiter in case I do lose my job, which kind of bleeds into the last step. So step number one, define your fears in great detail. Step number two, write out what are the actions that you can take to prevent those outcomes, those bad outcomes from happening. And step number three is to imagine, hey, you know what? Worst case scenario happened, you lost your job. You lost your job, you got divorced, you lost your dog and your truck, insert cliche meme about a country song. What are you going to do? Like, what's the first thing that you need to do to get back to where you were before that bad thing happened? And that's a really powerful thing. That's so helpful. It just gets you right into action mode and you have a playbook, you have a protocol. I actually did that for when we were around this time last year and and I was thinking, hey, all signs are pointing towards I'm going to take some kind of pay cut, some kind of hit to my income at some point this year. Like it's just happening all around us. And so I spent some time talking to my wife about it. We put some plans in place and largely felt good about, hey, we have some runway, we have some breathing room here. And then if this happens, the first thing I'm going to do is call around and check on my team. And it's not because I was in a situation where I experienced some hardship and my first instinct was to care for others. I would love to say that was the case, right? That I'm so altruistic, that's the case. But no, I spent time outside of the fear experience thinking through a negative outcome that might happen, which, I mean, talk about anxiety, talk about negative feelings when you're worried about your ability to provide for your family, to meet your financial obligations, like those things are, you know, real, right? There's histories filled with examples of people doing very foolish things when their when their ability to earn income is put mm-hmm. at risk. And I didn't want to fall into that trap. And we're all just human, right? When none of us are above that. And so I was able to have a protocol for when that happened. And I didn't have to rely on me overcoming these hardwired human emotions. And I knew what I knew what I needed to do. And I could trust that the the details were taken care of because I planned for mm-hmm. it. And it doesn't always work out that way. You can't always, you know, get ahead of it. But when you can, it it is really helpful. Yeah, there, there's some stuff that you can do to proactively deal with fear. And th- this is what we're talking about. Fear setting is a great way to proactively figure out what's your plan when confronted with something. You had mentioned being inoculated. Right? It's like there is no cure for fear. But I do believe that by regularly putting yourself in situations where you feel, and this might be like the exposure therapy, you know, Robert, that you're talking about. But I, I do think, though, that as a leader, the more situations you put yourself in where you are forced to confront fear and you use whatever tools you need, like fear setting, or for me, gratitude is a big strategy to deal with fear too, to try to shift my thinking and my physiology, the more tools like that that you can use to overcome fear, get through to the other side and see, hey, it wasn't that bad. I may have been fearful of this. I may have had a lot of anxiety, but now that I've gone through it and I've reflected back, it wasn't so bad. 
right? The more you do that, I think the uh, more we can begin to do that for others. Because what I don't like seeing, and I see this a lot in the world and with the people that we work with sometimes too, is that there's a recognition that there's fear and anxiety, you know, for, that's happening for people. And it's just, a, what are they afraid about? What are they worried about? Like, why are they so anxious? You know, that's a response because maybe you're not feeling that way. And unfortunately, that's just not helpful. But as a leader, if you see somebody in your one-on-ones, that's why they're so important is to establish that space of safety, Igor, like you were saying, if you hear or see them express something that makes you think that there's fear and anxiety that may be underneath the surface, there are things that you as a leader can do to help them work through that. And it's things like fear setting and the gratitude and creating a safe environment for them to experiment right, and learn and get better. And so I think there's a big responsibility for leaders to not only create safe spaces, but to encourage people to move into uncomfortable situations, learn how to work through them. And if we do that, everybody wins. And I see nothing but goodness in that. Other hack too. Uh, Charles, have you gone into this like idea of mirror neurons? So mm-hmm. like they mirror the behaviors yeah. of, of other yep. people, right? So if I started a conversation with you, if I came over to your house and I was visibly angry and I started yelling at you aggressively, like your mirror neurons are going to kick in and you're going to get aggressive. Now you may be able to overcome that in the moment and calm down and lower your heart rate and behave effectively and rationally, but that's a lot of biology you have to overcome to get there. And I don't think you can rely on yourself being able Mm. to do that every time. And so when you're talking about fear setting and we talked about immersion therapy and getting yourself in the mind of what failure might look like, Saying it out loud in a calm voice, like actually physically v- verbalizing and uttering the words, will, will hit your mirror neurons and help calm you down as well. And so that's a hack that you know, you're talking about getting an edge and all these little different yeah. things you might, if, if especially if you're focusing on a really hairy problem that you're worried about or fearful about, you know, saying those things out loud could actually help as well. Yeah, I, I think the way that I... I communicate that to people. And in my talk is embracing vulnerability, which is exactly that. It's voicing your fears in a calm you know, voice. And here's the key to people that are worthy of your vulnerability. This kind of goes back to a book called Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, which changed my life. It's, it's all about vulnerability and shame and how I believe vulnerability is an underrated leadership skill. And because I do think it takes practice, but it's exactly that. Right? It's like having a safe place to communicate a fear to your team lead, for example, is it's probably the best thing that could happen that we could hope for. It's just being able to talk about it openly. Yeah. Or say it into the voice memo app on your phone and read the transcription later or yeah, something like yeah. you, you can work up mm. to it, especially if you're like new in your job or you're in a high stakes situation. And you don't have that safe environment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like that. Yeah. We don't rise to the occasion. We fall to our greatest level of preparation as humans. Yeah. And so I, I think that just counts. You'll get a tenfold return on any minutes that you invest in that level of preparation. Yeah. Igor, you have any thoughts on tips for people to overcome fear, anxiety? There's two that come to mind. I think one of them we talked about, Charles, when you initially introduced me to fear setting. It's also a way that you sometimes get free coffee. Do you remember what we talked about? Vaguely, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was the same vein of trying to put yourself into uncomfortable situations oh, yeah. and, and asking for like, a yes, yeah, at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And that's an uncomfortable conversation, right? We're not used to haggling, especially over coffee. Yeah. 
there's a menu, there's a price on the menu. The employee behind the counter really doesn't have, have that much agency over that. And uh, asking for something is not comfortable, especially if you think you're going to hear a no. So it's and, almost like there's a rejection. Every, every Starbucks gives away more than one cup of coffee for free every day. So it, it happens. So that's so a, why that's can't it be? <laughs> and so uh, just to share that training to hear no with that, I think that's a core rejection for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Rather for a lot of people, because we're social beings and rejection is a anti-social signal. Yeah, you know, I thought that was interesting. Putting yourself in even small situations where there's a, a bit of anxiety, a bit of fear helps prepare you uh, to face other things maybe better and far more consequential. Consequential. Yeah, I totally agree. I, there was another coffee shop related one that is appropriate to share. I, I can't remember why I heard of this one, but going into a coffee shop and just finding a spot on the ground to lay down on the ground and i'm 100 percent not exactly doing that. yeah most people have a visceral no, like, reaction it just seems dumb like you think <laughs> oh you think it's gonna give you a profound there's a lot of people insight about yourself robert go try it and, and tell me about the fear that you feel in doing it. some people are like hey i'm afraid that they're gonna call the cops on me i'm gonna get thrown I'm in jail i'm gonna get sick with the all the germs sure, on the floor yeah. Yeah. people are gonna think that i'm an idiot because that, that, I think that's probably the most fear that's uh, connected to what you said, Igor, right around the social judgment. So what is that weirdo doing? Why are they on the floor? And uh, yeah, walk into a coffee shop, lay down, don't say anything. If somebody tries to talk to you, you just ignore them for a few seconds. All, all, you just need to do a 30 seconds. And that... That just seems silly. It is. But it, it is also an example of something small that you can do that, that I think can help you inoculate yourself against fear, you know, and triggering that fight, flight, or freeze in us that happens at a small scale. Is that a thing for real? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe bring a sanitized blanket, Robert. So that way you're only confronting with social fears. (laughs) I I think Robert's feeling (laughs) fears. And and I think his compensation is to just say that it's silly and to poo-poo it. That's my guess. It is embarrassing, yeah. right? Like it's not something that, that's probably something you might've done when you were a little kid throwing a fit because it's yeah. Didn't know. get you a triple mocha, non-fat <laughs> latte thing. That's right. Yes. The pink drink at Starbucks, whatever that thing is called. I guess where, where my <laughs> objection is at is what's the point? Like all the, and maybe I'm just blind on this. Everything we've talked about up until now, personally and professionally, has a means, right? Like there, there's a reason to, if you're afraid of dogs, to to go put forth the effort, hopefully to at some point not be afraid of dogs or face a difficult career challenge. Like those things have these tangible outcomes, like they're in pursuit of something. Like what's the point of going into a coffee shop and laying on the floor? I guess that's what I, I don't get the practicality yeah, of it. For me, the way that I talk about it, and the way that it was impactful for me is that it highlighted really clearly the imagined danger piece of fear. Because you're not going to get thrown in jail. You're not doing anything wrong. Right? And people aren't going to say, they might think that you're weird. They're not going to approach you because they, they probably think you're crazy and that if they talk to you or they try to touch you or remove you, that you'll freak out. But they're just as afraid of you as you are of them. It really highlights the how we are, oh, there's a quote by Seneca that applies here. Like we, we are more often caught up in the fear itself as opposed to the thing itself. What is that quote? That's so terrible. Oh, we suffer more from imagination than from reality. It's like we can, if we were to actually mm. do this thing, we would get so wrapped up about, oh, how would we do it? What would people think of me? It's a, 
what's it going to be like? And most people just never do those things. Like when they're confronted with a decision or a situation, it's a proxy to put you into this place where it's like, oh, yeah, I'd never do that. That's stupid. But if you were to actually do it, be like, oh, I see it wasn't bad at all. Nothing happened. And in fact, I had a great conversation with somebody after the fact because they did it too. Like It's just a way to get people through the barrier that is erected when we feel fear and to see that it it's not all that bad on the other side. And if I could do that, maybe I can handle the presentation tomorrow. You know, it's, it's a practice. I mean, it's the equivalent of like doing a repetition. So what's the value of doing a repetition? It's like you do enough of them and you increase the work done, you can get stronger, right? You can get... That's um, funny. You went to public speaking. I was thinking the same thing. Like, oh, maybe it would help with being in front of a crowd that you yeah, don't know or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. So That's, you can do it. Let me know how it goes. I have done it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't done it, but I would yeah. do it. Did it change your life, Charles? It did. It was very illuminating to me. That's part of why I speak about this, at least within our firm. All right, man. It reminds me of this video. It's the the dancing guy from the Sasquatch Festival. I don't know if you guys saw this. About 10 years old at this point. But basically, it's 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 this guy. He's just dancing on his own, just not a care in the world. But it's pretty embarrassing to dance by yourself when it's empty. But over time, you can see this like infection that happens. One person joins in. And then it seems like the whole festival's dancing. There's also something infectious about people doing uncomfortable things and encouraging others to do that too. Yeah, but maybe I'll leave y'all with this quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. So she says, you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. And then later on in the quote, she says, you must do the thing you think you cannot do. So Robert, if laying down in a coffee shop doesn't make you feel fear, Go and ask for that discount or find something that will make you feel a little bit of fear and and go do it. I guess that's the... Yeah, that's definitely yeah, the point. Yeah. And I think all you have to do is ask yourself and and the answers will yeah. come pretty fast. For sure. All right, guys. Thanks for the chat. Enjoyed talking about fear. Yeah, glad we could do yeah. this. Igor, thanks for spending some of your vacation time with us. I love it. I wouldn't miss recording with y'all. Sorry, my... Uh... My audio is a little potato quality. We'll chalk that up to California vibes. Yeah, no one will ever Rob, know. Robert will fix you up, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I hope so. I'm trying my hardest. <laughs> Thanks, Alrighty. guys. See ya. That's it for today. Thanks for joining. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WannaGrabCoffee or drop us a line at hello at WannaGrabCoffee.com.